0: to the Rethink Energy podcast, where each week we provide a fresh perspective on the events and the technology driving the energy transition. I'm Peter White. I'm the CEO of Rethink. And as usual, I'm joined by our analysts, hydrogen and wind specialist, Harry Morgan. Hello. Our solar specialist, Andrew Swantonar, Hello there. And our straight man for the podcast, our publisher, Simon Thompson, will pick out something that caught his eye from the issue. On the show today, we'll be discussing how China is now the world leader in offshore wind and how it's smashing its uh, renewables targets all over again. Uh, also discussing how General Motors plans to put $7 billion into its Lansing, Michigan factories, some of which is to make 50 gigawatt hours of battery. While um, in Florida, the state assembly is getting ready to pass an extremely unpopular law sb1024 sb says must stands for son of a bitch, uh, which will lower uh, net metering payments for solar in that state by around 70 percent for any customers out there thank you for the huge amount of attention our hydrogen report has been receiving and we're about to load our latest research paper on resolving the polysilicon crisis from andres and next week we'll be putting up the asian edition of our world energy atlas to get things rolling today Harry, you're up first. How much offshore wind exactly has China managed to install?
1: 16.9 gigawatts is what we're hearing from the National Energy Administration in China, which is a huge amount of capacity, really. It's nearly a third of the global capacity worldwide added in one year in one country. Um, I mean, it more than doubles China's offshore wind capacity. and It it makes it the largest market, pushes it past the UK, which is what's been really grabbing the headlines this week. Is also 450% larger than the three gigawatt record that we saw installed last year. (laughs) Um, So it's, it's one of those things from China where maybe we should take it with a pinch of salt. Maybe some of these projects are being stated as online, even though they're only partially completed, but either way, 17 gigawatts of offshore wind is a huge acceleration in a market where people really didn't think that China had a sort of leading edge.
0: Yeah. We tend to focus all the time. All we hear is constant criticism that China is, ramping its coal and gas uh, infrastructure and it's not doing enough on renewables and it continually smashes these records it's the only country that's taking perhaps its obligations seriously
1: absolutely and I mean we saw it again this week um, we wrote another piece on hydrogen fuel cells and how China really is like quickly and quietly just taking control of that market I mean it's fuel cell production was up 50 percent through the year but its production capacity exposure five five fold through the year, so that 's again another area of the renewables market where China's really pushing past and taking a lead from slightly more bureaucratic markets in the west
0: okay uh, so i mean you're you're attributing it to the lack of red tape and uh, the clarity of decision making in a top down managed economy um, which uh, you know I've come across that time and time again not just in the uh, renewable energy world but in in IT generally uh, and technology generally that a top-down approach gets stuff done it doesn't mean it's a great place to live it just means that you you, certainly you get stuff done
2: well I'm, I'm curious what was the total amount of wind this year in China
1: the total amount of wind in China this year was 48 gigawatts, which is actually a slight dip from mm-hmm. last year. Um, solar power additions, which I'm sure you all have an opinion on, Andres, while we thought they were going to be con- uh, restricted by these policy shortages, actually rose 10% to 53 gigawatts. So, I mean, that's 101 gigawatts of renewable energy capacity mm-hmm. across the whole of the country. So, it, it, again, it's, it, it's a huge step towards China's 14th five-year mm-hmm. plan. It's a huge step towards their... Uh, plan to pass peak emissions by 2030 and reach net zero by 2060.
2: Because what I think about when when I think about the, the China wind 2021 figure is not just the, the offshore stuff, although that's a bit of a surprise and quite interesting. It's also that last year they posted this figure, 72 gigawatts, which I think was two to three times the size of the previous years. And it just seemed fantastical. And it seemed like they had just partly connected lots of projects to meet subsidy deadline and then claimed that they were commissioned. um, Absolutely. And then obviously if you do that, that would suggest that next year will be very weak because you've already commissioned stuff uh, formally that still has to be built in the figures, but they've posted another 48 gigawatts. So the question, there was this lingering question of how much of the 72 gigawatts is real. And if they can post yet another Um, large figure. Does that mean the 72 gigawatts was a bit, was actually kind of real and they have even more real stuff to do or are they just doubling down on the sort of hollow figures?
0: Americans find this really extraordinary that a country can get so much done. If you're viewing purely from America, the you know the the tendency is to believe that China is making up uh, the numbers and that you know and, and therefore its conclusion is oh it's hiding everything and it's not doing enough. But the truth is it is just a hell of a way of running an economy. Uh, you you know, all the decisions come from the top, they flow down. Everybody tries their hardest to get on in life, and the only way to get on in life is to um, impress the people above you. And they so they tend to overachieve. I, I think these numbers are just real.
1: Hmm. I, th- I think you're right. I think while there might be some blurred lines about the definition of installed, I think they I think they are correct, and I think that I will see that reflected in China's generation figures um, over the coming year. I, one of the interesting things, and, I, and you point, you pointed that out correctly, Andreas, is obviously the big surge in onshore wind at the end of last year came ahead of the feed-in tariff deadline there, hmm. whereas obviously this this surge in, in offshore wind installations. Uh, came ahead of a feed-in tariff deadline for offshore wind. Uh, so actually, when you look at the 48 gigawatts of wind installed this year, once you t- subtract the 17 gigawatts of uh, offshore wind, you're actually not left with that as much onshore wind as we'd normally expect from China. So there has been this dip in onshore wind, which we could th- theoretically expect to see with offshore wind next year. Well, actually,
2: what well, wasn't the onshore wind trajectory in like 2019, 2018, wasn't that actually heading towards about 31 gigawatts by 2021? So I'd say it's still kind of impressive if they didn't have a dip and they're just back onto the trajectory, despite the huge 2020 figure.
1: I think that's exactly the right way to look at it. I think it's while we we can't necessarily get used to seeing these 80 gigawatts every year, I think it's the fact that the overall trend is still a very, very quick growth upwards. I mean, the 10% growth in the solar market speaks for itself, really. And I expect that's the sort of growth that we can expect in a sustainable manner from the wind sector. I think one of the really interesting things is obviously this has been spearheaded by com- companies like three, China Three Gorges and companies like Ming Yang in terms of turbines. It'll be interesting to see whether or not these projects can really help these countries establish more of a global leadership and pump themselves into sort of global export markets, um, which really have been, especially in wind, dominated by people like see Gamisa and investors.
0: So do you really do you think Minyang turbines are now measure up to Siemens Gamesa and and Vestas? Uh,
1: I think it does seem like we're going through the same same thing we went through with the solar sector maybe ten years ago that everyone criticised China's panels for being lower quality lower quality but suddenly they were cheap enough that the lower quality didn't matter and that they could be deployed at scale and I think that's something that Western developers need to be aware of and I think. While we're seeing GE turbines, for example, really damaged in high storms, people suddenly are going to be like, well, if there's a risk of damage, I may as well not pay as much and face the same risk of damage. Mingyang, we have seen them start to retract orders. I think they were they, they attracted an order from Italy a few weeks ago. Um, and it, it could start to see a, a little bit of the market taken off, Siemens, taken off Festa.
0: Really, you're painting the picture that China's doing its usual thing. It's industrialising, it's improving, it's learning from its opposition and then slowly it begins an export war and then slowly wins the export war based on pricing.
1: Yeah, the one thing that I would say at the moment is that we there aren't that many signals that China's pricing is going to be that much lower. The, the, um, the projects that were installed this week or um, in sort of the last weeks of 2021 were around $105 per megawatt hour, which is still fairly large for Uh, offshore wind but it's whether or not that these that that could be very much to do with the infrastructure surrounding the project so it's difficult to say whether or not the turbines are going to be cost competitive with the rest of the manufacturers
0: right am i right in thinking that most of the off all of the offshore is fixed um fixed fixed foundations and as a result it's you've got to have specialist um shipping so the cost of the shipping if you bundle that in is 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 going to especially since china's been ramping its vessels which can uh, which have got the cranes that they need so th- that actually if as they slip towards floating um that price will start to come down
1: yeah i mean china does have good access to wind station vessels especially compared to um, the rest of the world um but yeah, within the Taiwan Strait, it's a fixed base is primarily what we're expecting to see. But once, uh, as we sort of move forward, there will be more floating wind, as we've seen within other markets. I think, yeah, as, as you said, Peter, at the start, I think the, the main thing to take from this is how quickly China's managed to get its offshore wind market off the ground. And I think the, the country it needs to be compared to is the US, um, where bureaucratic procedures have seen no capacity installed, really. Um, I mean, it's often in these projects.
0: They have a great debt of gratitude to their previous president for prejudicing everybody against wind farms.
1: I think that's true, but I also th- but I also think it's the planning procedures. I mean, it, it takes at least four to five years at the moment for an offshore wind farm in China to, to go through environmental regulations, which obviously is necessary to some extent that these procedures... In the US, Shouldn't you mean? Be. You said yes. in China. Yeah. In the US, yeah. And I, I think in, the, in that country, it, there must be ways of getting it through, uh, through more quickly. And with the US suddenly approving projects at a rapid rate, um, there needs to be some way of facilitating faster project development and, and less of this red tape that we're seeing uh, slowing projects. It's the same to a certain extent in Europe as well.
2: While we're on the, the topic of Chinese wind, we might as well describe the, 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 the solar installs as well yeah you know, given the polysilicon shortage they they couldn't push them up that far they had a target of 55 gigawatts to 65 but they only installed uh, 53 that's still a record year it's still up 10% or so um uh, but the interesting thing really is not the the number it's it's how so much of it has shifted to residential uh 21.5 gigawatts of that is res- residential and i think the residential sector in china was completely trivial uh, a couple of years ago um what did you put that down to Deliberate policies. is very explicit. They have this thing called uh, whole county promotion uh, and they've just been running tenders. I wonder perhaps if that's because of the module cost increase. Maybe they figure, well, if you have more expensive modules, that's uh, sort of ameliorated a little. If you're doing a more expensive you know, deployment on rooftops, maybe. Although a lot of them actually don't seem to be that more, much more expensive when you do a a residential scheme that's distributed over a whole municipality the uh, investment costs that are reported are similar to utility scale i think
0: that's ridiculous versus. i mean uh, uh, you know in, in america it's three times the costs. Mm. um i mean it's it's simply the fact that there's so many layers of uh, of companies involved and they're all involved they've all got to take a margin and they're all um quoting separately for work and and um then you've got the kind of process of permitting in other countries so if it comes from top bottom and, and they say you know there is a tender and you if if you're included you've automatically got permission then they're cutting the permitting process out of the equation entirely and making it much easier
2: yeah i mean you get a you'll get a whole county promotion like for such and such county that i think is residential yeah it must be because that's where the numbers are and it's i think it. It just, it's like, oh, here's a few hundred megawatts of rooftop solar done by one company.
0: And um, they just get better and better at doing it. And, they, and, they, and they, um, they learn how to do it. They learn how to do it cheaply. And they don't have to go looking for the work because they know where all the tenders are. It, I mean, it's just a very sensible way of going about the process. Anyway, let's just move on. That I mean, we can we can go on about China. Um, it, China just gives us a a chance to see what can be done if people get on with renewables and um, and they um, and you strip down the bureaucracy. At the other end of the scale, General Motors um, putting seven billion dollars into its Michigan base. A lot of it, two point six billion dollars of that going into a new um Ultium battery plant that's its third in the US so far they'll probably all get to around 50 gigawatt hours and we plug those numbers into uh our forecast for the US EV market and if they get to that kind of output by around 2026 They'll still only have 15% of the EV market in uh, in the US. There's constant claims from Mary Barra that she's going to overtake Tesla by 2025 or a little after that. And our feel is that, that this is still too little. It's, it's a lot of spend, but it's not going to catch up the lead that Tesla's got anytime soon in the American market. Uh, never mind the global market but it's still impressive unfortunately the story that's been going the rounds came out of an elon musk tweet about two weeks ago talking about how general motors managed to sell just 26 electric vehicles in the prior quarter That, that is not a real reflection on uh, On its efforts that 's because there was a recall, but it is pitiful <laughs> it 's not pitiful if you if you it 's made to look pitiful by Elon Musk, but the truth is there was a recall on l g batteries that might it might be that only choosing one battery partner and not having two or three is what 's caused that, and they had to focus all the new batteries on providing for the recall. So as a result, they couldn't release any new vehicles. And, it, and they went from a very reasonable number down to a very low, okay. this minuscule number. I couldn't find that number when I looked through their uh, their filings. I'm not sure how accurate it is or whether it's, a, it's an official uh, figure, but everyone's quoting it, just 26 vehicles for the quarter. Some of the fourth quarter will have that effect in and then there'll be shipments, but they're certainly getting orders. Chevrolet Silverado EV uh, is being thrown into this pickup mix between Rivian and the Ford uh, 150 electric they're obviously battling it out. Um, General Motors believes it's got the lead for the last couple of years. It's very marginal um, over, traditionally Ford is the dominant pickup provider for the States. And and obviously it can't let that business go, but that business is entirely gonna be without Tesla throughout 2023. Tesla came up at their uh, quarterly numbers and said um we can't launch any vehicles this year this was just a couple of days ago so clearly um the tesla share price dropped 80 billion dollars on the fact that uh it's quite it was quite insane some of the things that uh, elon musk if elon musk was walking down the street and made these kinds of statements he'd be arrested and put into a psychiatric uh, institution He's going to build a humanoid robot and it's going to be a bigger business than his car business. He's not going to deliver on his promise for a $25,000 electric vehicle by 2023 because by delivering on his self-driving, full self-driving software, the cost of transport will come down because everyone will be just jumping in and out of Tesla's Tesla auto taxis. So, suddenly the you know, half of the the world is going that's insane let's dump our tesla shares and the other half are saying told you it was more than just a car company but certainly general motors is a car company and that's where they've got their uh their focus and they, they've got to get their pickup out and they're talking about it being cheaper than the ford f-150 lightning pickup which was forty thousand dollars so Who's going to deliver the $25,000 vehicle? Not Tesla. It'd probably be General Motors or Ford. Right. So this this law that you think SB1024 um, that's going to be um, passed might be passed in Florida. And you're pretty convinced that both the voters and um, the solar community are outraged by it. And it's uh, a political fait accompli. Tell us about it.
2: Yes, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of tempting to just complain about the uh, the sort of corrupt aspects. Like, um, apparently, there were leaked emails that showed the utility. Um, what's it called? Florida FPL, Florida... Power and Light. Yeah, Florida Power and Light. Yeah, apparently they wrote the bill and sent it to this politician. Uh, and then they donated to her, to, to her women building the Future Political Action Committee after she um, first filed it. So <laughs> that... It's pretty straightforward. Um, typical. It's. it's the, I, I think it's one of the biggest utilities in the U.S., so it has it has lots of clout. Um, it seems like the same similar discourse to to the Californian contest, where both sides say that, oh, you need to lower these payments to make it more equitable, because rooftop solar is just benefiting the rich, and the other side says, well, no, you need to increase the rooftop. The, the residential net metering payment so that everyone can actually afford to uh invest in it because it will then have a low payback time it does harry, harry
0: it and I, I were talking about this the other day and we um, and we we've got clients interested in this the um the idea that that you don't pay for for your rooftop solar that some finance company funds it and that you get reduced electric le- electricity costs straight away from day one and that after say 10 years you inherit the system and you get the full benefits of it and that the money that you would have paid in your bill just pays this thing off this is this is something that's been that's going on in places like japan we're going to write next week about japan changing their laws to allow Not for solar to be connected to the grid, but for battery to be connected to the grid and so that they can trade so that a thousand homes can all use the same piece of software and trade their electricity around the grid. It it just seems that that's where we're pushing the um, the people of america if you're going to pay them less when they return stuff to the grid they'll, they'll buy a battery and if someone will fund the battery even better and if someone will fund it and share in the profitability with the homeowner then suddenly it's going to take off and it'll be an in, it'll be an entrepreneurial thing which suits americans and they'll all love it and they won't need the net metering tariff anymore they'll just simply trade electricity to one another and cut out the utilities what are the utilities thinking by not embracing this
1: the approach from the utilities obviously just seems to be a way of keeping natural gas as the sort of the primary source of electricity while it's the cheapest and i mean i say while it's the cheapest i mean that's while it's the cheapest as opposed to a solar plus storage installation but literally within the next three, four years, solar per storage installations, you'll have them on your house, on on your rooftop, and it'll be cheaper to do that than it will be to buy electricity from the grid. And at that point, if the utilities are still operating like this, that's when new companies come in that are managing and aggregating these, uh, these home storage systems into virtual power plants. That's when suddenly they become the utilities of the future. I think that's what we're seeing forward-thinking utilities like NL doing in Europe. I wouldn't, be surprised if we see next year we're doing that in the u.s in the next in the next year or so
0: But how, uh, how do we measure this this you know i mean I, I got the impression that solar plus storage is already passing i know it's, it's you're using it as a peaking resource i mean peaking power in is um is already the most expensive you can pay for so there's plenty of room for combination for vpps to make money already
1: yeah, exactly. And I think that's but I think it's what it's when they become the most cost effective option in terms of power generation across the energy sector. Um, then that's when they become a no brainer for people to have. I think what and once utilities are offering a pricing model where you're not having to pay this upfront cost of ten thousand pounds to have a solar solar panels and a battery installed in your house, when that's uh, fronted up by the utility itself and you're just like, Yeah, okay, my rooftop, someone's gonna be my rooftop phone. An hour and a half, and putting something in this in my loft for a bit, then that's when suddenly it makes sense. If that's going to suddenly sh- save you, I think what was it, Peter? You said fifty, fifty pound, fifty dollars is the mark where people suddenly start changing their. They,
0: they their change pages. their attitudes for fifty dollars, but they don't change it for less. Yeah, yeah, it's a consumer truth truism in the United States. Uh, if broadband is ten times as fast, would you buy it? Not if it's fifty dollars more, but if it's twenty five I will. So there's a kind of barrier at the fifty dollars mark for either spending. Uh, fifty dollars is too much, uh, but receiving fifty dollars is just big enough. so it it's um yeah, it's it's a rule of thumb.
2: You got any questions,
0: uh, Simon? Yes, well, it's um news from Australia. I was reading about the hydrogen energy supply chain which is liquefied hydrogen made from coal sent from Australia to Japan. And I
2: was thinking it's a, everything we hear from Australia. There are mixed messages. And dear reader, I'm confused.
0: Please explain. Well, uh, simple, so. really simple. Corrupt people will bend the law and twist it inside out to make a buck. That's 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 all it is. These people are being paid as politicians. They're owned by the coal lobby, by the gas lobby, and they are um, doing anything um, to, um, you know, at some, some stage, someone there has to expose this. Uh, it's, there's no guarantee it's exposable, but it's certainly the case that these are not sane decisions. The, the, I- get, Harry, walk, walk us through the logic, the cost of coal the uh, loss uh, in thermal in creating electricity in the first place uh, the round-trip efficiency of then creating hydrogen and then transporting it then freezing it and then transporting it and then using it to produce electricity in another country that the round-trip efficiency is is about two percent isn't it
1: the round-trip efficiency is yeah ridiculously low um but the, the best way to look at it is the reason that they're doing this is because essentially coal reserves that you've got now are worth nothing because you can't burn them so what that's what they're doing here in Australia is they're trying to make the sort of final use out of their coal that they can um, and use it as a, a way of branding themselves as a green company moving forward um, and, green, and a green country going forward I mean Scott Morrison has famously been very anti net zero um, and has hailed this as sort of an engineering milestone in terms of developing his country's hydrogen economy and hydrogen exports which there is an element of truth behind obviously creating these trading routes for hydrogen and liquefied hydrogen and uh, ammonia is going to be fantastic obviously the best the best thing about this is that they're using liquefied hydrogen uh, which could be, is going to be a huge step forward in terms of making hydrogen powered aircraft feasible um, making more efficient maritime uh, maritime Clean technology is feasible, and that's that's the positive that needs to be taken from this. So, so the infrastructure because, the players
0: will, will be will be there in place, ready when green hydrogen comes along.
1: Yes, but the companies that are doing this with coal with with coal to create the hydrogen are not the companies that are going to be dominating it going forward. If you're going to fix the problem, get it right from the start, um, using coal and carbon capture to create the hydrogen is not how they're going to be able to build this industry. They'll these companies might might win a few. Orders this is this is or-
0: government subsidised. They wouldn't do it on their own. The only reason they're doing this is because there's a big fat government subsidy.
1: Yeah, exactly. And they, while they might win some project orders early on um, through this, as soon as the uh, coal and carbon and sort of carbon pricing makes them unfeasible, that's when suddenly orders are dropped, um, and then alternative providers who are providing green hydrogen. Will come in, use the same technology to liquefy the hydrogen and transport the hydrogen, and that's when these companies that are taking this half-assed approach to to creating this hydrogen infrastructure will actually just crumble.
0: Harry, the, the the article mentions brown coal. Well, what's the significance of that?
1: So brown brown coal is is exactly that. So it's coal. It's hydrogen created through the gasification of coal. Um, it's potentially the dirtiest kind of hydrogen you can produce. Is what a large amount of the current feedstock is, primarily in China, but it's quickly being replaced by grey hydrogen, which again is another dirty type of coal, uh, dirty type of hydrogen. So um, neither of these can really be um, to develop the. um, They can be used in terms of developing hydrogen infrastructure, but they should not be used in terms of hydrogen demand. And I think they're, they'll, they're going to be a drop in the ocean as uh, when we actually start seeing the hydrogen economy developed over the next few years. I mean, we saw this week, we saw Shell inaugurate one of its first electrolyzer projects in China. That's just something that we're going to start seeing more and more. I mean, we're, we're obviously at Rethink Energy trying to count all of these projects as they come online, but that's quickly, quickly going to become a very difficult task with, um, when it becomes almost a daily affair, I think.
0: Yeah, a government subsidy of, of a small country, a small economy like Australia is is not going to be able to compete with market forces as the price of green hydrogen goes to volume, comes down in price. Yeah, and so, so this is a pipe dream. It's just going to go away. As soon as the government subsidies stop, it's uneconomic. As soon as hydrogen gets up to speed, there's something to replace it. Fate a company two to three years. Waste of time. Never underestimate the power of politicians to waste everybody's time um, because somebody's paid them.
1: It's 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 just due to with a lack of sort of awareness in the country. I think I think some of these politicians hear hydrogen and think and think hydrogen. So I think when they're hearing oh we're going to have a hydrogen economy, they're just going to see oh hydrogen doesn't matter where it's coming from. We'll use that now. But as soon as it becomes transparent about the different types of hydrogen and about the cost projections of green hydrogen as obviously we've outlined in our report that's what um that's when things start to change if only, it, scott, it, if only scott morrison subscribed to rethink energy
0: it's where <laughs> that would be we would put a press release out. scott morrison if you've heard that you can you can claim your subscription at half price from rethink energy we'd do anything to educate you the, the thing is you've got to ask yourself Which is it about politicians that you hate, that they're corrupt or that they're stupid because they're one or the other?